Hello, this is Nick from Men's File Magazine on the Tokyo Crow podcast. Back in May, in the darker days of the lockdown here in London and New York, I spoke with blues musician brother Tito Dallaire, also known as the original Harlem Slim, about his experience of lockdown, his love of the blues and his upbringing on the upper west side of Manhattan during the 1970s. Often cited by Men's File as one of the world's leading street stylists, that is to say, someone who transmits style ideas by merely existing in the public space, the musician has graced our cover and featured on the pages of the magazine many times. Tito is in New York, and I'm here in London, and this is how the conversation went. Brother Tito Dallaire. That's right. I'm just going to call you Tito. Do that, man. We, we friends, and we are friends. Thank you. <laughs> we, we only, we only got to meet once before exactly. we become friends, Thank you know you. what I mean? <laughs> also known as the original Harlem Slim. True and living natural born. Yeah. Now, we're going to... We're going to talk and we're going to listen to some music. Now, can you tell us, this music's from a new album, but can you tell us a little bit about it? Just tell me the title and uh, and, and where you recorded it. Yeah, man. I, I mean, it's, it's a new record this, uh, that I'm going to be putting out myself. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's been, you know, a few years in the making and I've scrapped a couple versions of it prior to this. Um, and, uh, and literally today I just uh, heard the last track that was mastered by my homeboy Jeremiah, um, Jay Boogie, who's a, he's actually like, he's an old hip hop DJ, right? Um, and, and what I wanted to do was just put out a, a blues record that wasn't, you know, the, the world doesn't need just another old blues record anymore. It needs, it needs uh, I think, my perspective. And that spoke to all the years and everything that I've seen coming up and all the all the tears and all the laughter and all the joy that I feel in my heart. Um, record coming out this summer, and it's called It's a Beautiful Thing. Okay, Brother Tito Dallaire, I'm going to play the first track on this program, which is called Avenue C Blues. Right on. Father and I made my home on the east side. Born and raised in New York City, and I made my home on the east side. When out of high water came, 
rushing in I didn't think I'd make it out alive I saw my younger sister outside crying outside crying in the rain The low down dirty shame That's what she said to me Low down dirty shame High water to my knees Lord is running It's running mighty fast Now I water to my knees And Lord is Lord of his mercy How long How long How long How long sweet Jesus Must I suffer How long sweet Lord Must I cry The track we just heard which is called Avenue C Blues Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me how it came about. It sounds like a story from your life, and I, I had heard before that it was during a big hurricane, but tell me some more. Yeah, well, that was, um, you know, it, it's interesting to be listening to that tune right now because I wrote that in uh, in a similar time when, when I was uh, I was uh, home in, uh, in the Lower East Side during Hurricane Sandy uh, and uh, decided to stick around, whereas most people kind of split um, there's a lot of NYU students and whatnot that live down there and, and a whole bunch of folks that don't necessarily call that home, you know, in, in the true sense of the word. They all broke out. Um, so come the second or third day of the darkness, no electricity and whatnot, uh, it did start to feel a lot like 1970s New York. You know, Tompkins Square Park was most definitely Tompkins Square Park back when Hurricane Sandy hit. You saw the best and the worst of the people of the neighborhood. Um, and... Uh, and, and, and just like you see the best, of, I mean, like what happened to me is uh, uh, the inspiration hit. And I said, you know, how am I going to be a natural blues man and not write a song about a, a flood? You know, I took a walk one night during that hurricane. And I saw that the uh, NYPD was launching uh, boats off of Avenue C. No doubt they were launching wow. boats to go towards the, you know, the East River. Right. Um and uh, and I took that walk, and, and, and you see folks are soaking wet, and it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's biblical in the sense because, it, you know, uh, it's a flood. <laughs> you know, it's a flood. It's a, it's a flood. Essentially, it's a, it's a destruction, and the rebirth is something that's established, right? So here we go. And during that hurricane, I did, you know, I was inspired to write that tune, Avenue C Blues. And, you know, it's not the letter C, it's the word C, because it felt like the ocean was pouring in the lower east side oh i get um, it so this is a time. this is an alphabet city reference but <laughs> exactly okay, i get it exactly right, okay <laughs> yeah 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 now, now yeah. tito you you talk about I mean, we're talking about suffering here and uh-huh. i guess the blues ultimately comes from the great suffering period of slavery 
Most definitely. And then passed on into the South, and there's unfortunately it's always been a deprived part of the United States. Mm-hmm. Could could the blues ever have existed without that pain? You know, I I think the blues could have existed. Um, the way we understand, uh, you know, it, it, the way we understand the blues today is is in context. I do think that you know. Every individual probably, you know, I, I would guess every individual listening understands what it feels like to be repressed or oppressed, right? When they ask the question, why does the caged bird sing? You know, uh, I think we can all relate to the fact that whatever circumstances are in our lives, uh, happening in our lives at the time, uh, it, it brings out something inside of you. If you've got that something inside of you, you know? Um, and, and I know exactly why the caged bird sings, whether or not, whether or not we look at it historically within the context of, of, of our, you know, history of the United States and with regards to slavery and whatnot. I think the blues is something that comes from a spirit that came way before all that. Uh, it manifested itself to take care of and protect those people. Uh, okay. okay. You know? I hear you. I hear you. I, but I'm going to go on to some more questions, but I'm just right going to cut in now because I'm actually going to play the next track, which is called Blues for Mike. Yeah. Bye. 
dark night Would've gotten the best Would've gotten the best of Harlem Slim If it wasn't If it wasn't for my man Mike Oh, Johnny on the spot, man Johnny on the spot every time Sure enough Made peace, rebuilt your life You Lord, you went straight from conversations where you sure. talked to me about the graffiti scene and and about funk and, and then about the b-boys and early hip-hop and stuff so tell me tell me where did you grow up what part of new york city and what was it like right on i grew up on on the upper west side of manhattan uh in new york city money-making manhattan um i have uh three older sisters that were basically able to kind of hold my hand and show me like literally like the, the the three like main pillars of what i consider like the the founding or the foundation of uh of of, of music as we know it today it was a uh, you know uh i had a sister who was a disco queen a sister that was a rocker and a sister who was a b-girl at a very early stage and you know I, I i saw a lot nick i mean like from from like you know watching my dis my, my sister practice in the living room for her soul train debut to you know, going downtown to the clubs on Bleecker Street as a, you know, as as a young sort of like sneaking in with the with the gear kind of a kid, you know, to all those uh, venues on Bleecker Street to watch my other sister's band play, and then also you know going to like Freedom Tunnel with my sister Sophie, 
and like you know learning all the graffiti thing and all the all the b-boy crews you know rocksteady universal zulu nation and all that stuff um that, that's what i grew up around i mean like i you know my father had a beautiful stereo and he had some beautiful old records in the crib and we would listen to everything from like you know from from back in in, in the dominican republic to like you know the 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 uh, the soul music and whatnot that was being created here in the states um but literally all i had to do was open up the window and look across the street to the park you know right there in ps ps 145 where they would throw these park jams and and you would see them hook the hook the speakers up to the sound to to, to the to the light posts uh, you see it on tv you heard it on the radio you know that's that's the way it goes and I, and i seen all that and i came up all around that there were a lot of like you know a lot of a lot of ladies and gentlemen, and I don't mean that in a condescending way to any of those two, but uh, but just you know, folks that carried themselves with dignity. It was a it, it was a time before crack. It was a time before crack, and it was a a time of exploration and innovation. You know, uh, folks were experimenting in all sorts of ways. The 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 downtown the downtown crews rocking with the uptown crews. You know, all the punk rock and everything. Man, I, I, no, no. You know, yeah. I'm just going to interrupt a second, Tito, because it's a beautiful stream of consciousness that's coming mm -hmm. through. But I'm going to, I'm going to direct us. Um, yes. Now, uh, your sister that was into the the soul music. Yeah. Now, what was she into stuff like Donna Summer, the disco queen stuff, or was she into uh, people like George Clinton and Funkadelic? I mean, what what kind of scene? Because I'm sure each one of those was finely tuned and had its own following. Yeah, so um, my, my yeah, my sister Ingrid, um, the one that you know, she she was a disco queen for sure, um, and still is. I mean, the way you see this this lady carry herself, she is foxy as can be, and uh, she was in a, she was first of all like you're into the hot single that gets played in the club because that's what you're gonna boogie to. Um, at the time, the, the hot dance was the hustle, and everybody was doing the hustle, and um, anything you could hustle to that rocked in the club. We had we had the twelve inch single to that, and we would just cop it at one of the one of the many record stores that existed between Ninety Sixth Street and One Hundred and Sixth Street. Um, you know, we would cop that for that 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 twelve inch single. Um, she did like Donna Summers. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of crossover. Like Tavares was another beautiful beautiful band that we used to rock to, and there was also like a lot of like you know salsa influence that was just happening right across Central Park. Oh yeah. You know, that that we would that we would listen to and that and that will most definitely wind up in all of our basement parties. See, Nick, you no, gotta Tito, understand is... at the time this was this was um, this was the 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 mid to late seventies, and my pops was a super of the building that we lived in. You know, from from about like you know when I was born till about you know Star Wars came out. Um, yes. So we yeah, had Star access Wars was to the a milestone. Basement. Yes. Star Wars is a milestone, but no, yeah. No, what, yeah. What was what was interesting? What was going on in Britain, but in one area, just really yeah. in the Manchester area, which is a okay. town in the northwest of England, and it's the kind of second city of the UK. What was going on there was that DJs were trying to find rare soul music from which the early seventies. Which is crazy, 70s. yeah, man. And That's that what bugs they wanted. Me out. Like because, one of one wait, of singles. because Nick, I mean, like dig, like you cut forward to like. 20 years when like not even 20 years so like if we're talking like okay if we're talking like 1985 where i'm getting into like you know uh you know skinhead reggae like you know 
uh, er, early, like all that Studio One stuff, Treasure yeah. Isle, Trojan, yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. and and then like segue into like all the soul, like original soul and B sides that I was listening to, like. It wasn't until I went to London that I was able to get my hands on like, you know, a grip of 45s that I've been searching for since I was a teenager. And I'm talking about like, you know, just classic 45s that I knew from like, from like, you know, talking to friends or getting mixtapes or, or like, yeah. you know, they will put it on like, you know, the, you know, the DBC or whatever, or like, or someone would send me something over from like, whatever. And like, boom, but like, you're right, man. Like, like, but, you know, you they know say what? a prophet is never like, you know, uh, loved or, or, or respected in his own, his own life land. land. Yeah, and that, yes, his own life land, drag. that's right. That yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, now, you know what, Tito, that, that there's another thing that you've just brought up, and that was there were so many bridges between the UK and the United States in terms yeah. of music. And oh, hell yeah. One of them was Jamaica. I mean, one was the that's World right. War Two and the American troops, of course. That's and, right. and in fact, American troops right up until the 60s. But Jamaica became another type of bridge because, of course, Jamaicans were making music in New York and making music in London. Mm -hmm. And there were these common threads. But what I was talking about was actually what we called over here Rare Soul. And it was literally sometimes quite big bands who had made uh, cut singles under different names to get some cash. Crazy. From a studio somewhere. Yeah. And then these... And only cut a hundred discs or whatever, and then these found their way back to London and Manchester, and these DJs got it. And a form of dance music formed around it called Northern Soul. Yeah, man. Now, yeah. at one point, try to look at Northern Soul because what it looks oh, like. Oh no, no, in Nick, Nick, I, I know, I know exactly what like you're talking about. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're they're doing the up rock, they're doing the floor work. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Daryl these... Banks. Like yes. Tammy Lynn, like all those yeah. hot, hot records, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the car the, stairs, yeah, all that. That's yes. that's, that's my yeah. joint, and yeah. But but to your point, like what pulled my coat was was the scene in England with the Northern Soul scene on a lot of those on a lot of those singles, and 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 there was, I mean, there's a, there's a couple record labels that like put out a bunch a bunch of compilations. That you know, there's Kent and whatnot, and Ace Records. They put out all these compilations. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's how I got up on it. But um, uh, you, you don't really see folks dancing like that here, here in New York. I mean, not to soul music. No, this, that was only Manchester. Though now it's crazy. what's happened is that was that was the seventies. But now, of course, mm. the hipsters have grabbed it, and it's actually popular in London now. And you can go to Northern Soul nights. Cool. Um, cool. But it's uh, but when you come to London next time. Yeah, we, we go to a Northern Soul night. Hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Let's get back to your music, Tito. Let's sorry, do it, man. that was that was interesting about bridges. I like um, that. Listen about uh, about your style because you've graced the cover of Men's File and you've been in Men's File quite a few times, and you're one of those people that I call a subculture of one when it comes to style. Um, Sometimes people call those people stylers or stylists, not, not, not like a professional stylist, but a street stylist, somebody who puts themselves together in such a way that when they're seen in the street, other people somehow pick up on it. It's a kind of theory of the glimpse. And I, I had you down as one of those. I don't want to embarrass you, Tito, as one of those people. But how, oh, what was your style journey from, from the 70s? I grew up 
around, you know, what I thought was like the best dressed men, right? In my experience, all the men that I looked at, man, and, and like, you know, my, my, my folks would have these parties on the weekend, and I'm talking Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, and, uh, and, and all the folks would come around from the neighborhood, and we'd pile into the basement, and there'd be, you know, music and dancing and all kinds of things, and I just remember, like, looking at all these men, you know, with the razor-sharp crease on their slacks, you know, and the high shine on their shoes, and just seeing how damn sharp they were and how they honored their body and took care of it, you know what I mean? Um, but, but you know what, Tito, you've, you've hit on something that we were talking about the other day, which is this respect, and it's not just respect for other people, which is incredibly important, but respect huh. for yourself. True indeed. And, you, you and hit that the nail shiny on the head shoe right thing there, is a yeah. big deal. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple things that I still do take uh, a strong pleasure in, and that is most definitely one of them. I mean, my first gig earning a coin was shining shoes, and I'm not embarrassing anything about that, you know, because since a, since a very young age, I've been getting mine by hook or by crook, and I will continue to do so. Now, I get a shoe shine from time to time, and I love that, man. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to take care of yourself and to love yourself, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and, and big up to RuPaul, like you said, man, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else, man? Well, that's true. <laughs> but, this is, but this is also another thing about actually having the discipline to force yourself to do things when you don't want to do them, which is yeah. put that crease in your pants. Most definitely. Uh, polish Nick, up those shoes. Put, yeah, Nick, do up and the I, tie. I want to give you a little perspective in the sense of, you know, the particular men that I was talking about. Now, my father was a union carpenter. He worked. You know, he worked his life as a shipbuilder in the Dominican Republic and then moved here, right, and joined the union, worked as a carpenter up until the point that he retired. Now, my father, you know, he, he, he uh, uh, I'm not going to go into his resume, but he's done a lot of beautiful things in terms of uh, in, in the Plaza Hotel and while he was there as the head cabinet maker and whatnot. But the, my father and the men, my, you know, uncles on my mother's side that congregated around these parties and hung out at these parties. We're talking about working class men, Nick. We're not talking about some, you know, high polished Madison Avenue executives, you know, with a valet and whatnot. We're talking about working class blue collar men, right? That, that they got, you know, basically overalls and, and whatnot, white t-shirts on all week long, working a heavy day a heavy day they they leave the house before the sun comes up and they come back when the sun's down now on the weekend when it's their time to shine it's their time to share time with a woman right or where they're partners yeah, it's the way i grew up they took care of themselves man they took beautiful care of themselves and that is pretty much like in a nutshell the only thing that i've i've tried to emulate with regards to the clothes that i put on my back you know and the way i take care of that clothes um, but you know what, Tito, this, that's a tradition, and I, I remember saying to my mother, because my, my, my mum and dad were, my dad was a teddy boy, my mum was a teddy girl. Right on. And that was, and I said, you know, look, this is when I was a small kid, I remember saying, look, you know, you've, when you were young, you put, when you were teenagers, you put all this incredible effort into what you wear. What, what was that all about? I, it was a yeah. naive question as a child, <laughs> a small child, yeah. like probably seven or eight. And my mum said, look, when you got no money, it doesn't stop you looking good, and that's the it, truth. Gives you, it gives you some di instant dignity. And Completely, you're, you, man. 
no rich person is better than you. They can't have shinier shoes than you've got. No, they can't. And they can't necessarily be more stylish. Money mm -hmm. doesn't buy you those things. No, so it doesn't. It's a way of asserting a kind of status. And, uh, it, of course, it's unfashionable in many, many areas today, but I, I certainly understand it. And I, yeah, I, it, it's something that uh, I think, although it has been lost, it probably isn't a great thing that it has been lost. It, it's a great leveler. Style can be a great leveler. That's it's the truth. not something that you need to buy. No, it isn't. You can't buy it. Um, I mean, there's, there's certain things that you can look for in the ingredients, I should say, and as and, 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 and you know, as as a participator and a customer, I should say, of your magazine and the work that you all put out, you know, I, I, accolades and big up because what 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 you all tend to do, what you all do is is in the forefront of this scene, if you will, right? You put forth those brands that have a longevity they're playing for the for the long game you know they're, they're running the marathon not the race right if yeah. i looked at your magazine i could pick through it and pretty much put together my outfits and think you know i can if i take care of this clothes i'll be wearing it for a long time and that's now, why now, tito yeah that's true with the brands but you know what 90 mm percent -hmm. of what we have in there is actually either self-made or or old stuff Right and on. we those brands that we i don't want to say choose because it sounds like we're doing everybody a favor and we're not but the the brands that we we want in the magazine are they're the they're the brands that complement that old original clothing not not Most it can definitely. be anything can be very modern doesn't have to yeah. be retro um it's just that we feel the people that are making them have, have got something and that that could be in from any area we just specialize in men's you know classic menswear but there's many of those people around today. Uh, Most definitely, Nick. Yeah, it's it's a high-low game. It's yeah. a high-low. It's a game of compliments, too. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I've, I've got plenty of pieces that are, you know, vintage pieces. And for, and for a long time in my life, I mean, in, in, in the Rockabilly days or in the, in the pink and black days, as they would say, like, it was all about just all the vintage clothes. And that's what I would keep. You know, yeah. I, I really didn't mess around with, 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 with Repro because, you know, I was, I was a very uh, traditional, you know, Rockabilly. You know what I mean? But uh, right now, you know, I do like the nuances of the old and the new. Yeah, it's you know? a new scene. It's another scene, just like any other. And most definitely. And the, and, and when this this scene gets invaded, which is constantly invaded by commerciality, which is great. I don't knock that. Then we all move on. We go away from the commerciality True and indeed. wait for it to catch up again. That's and then right. we move on again, and so it goes. We've got a record just coming up now called Bodigo Blues. Yeah. And. Tell me about because in in Spain in Europe we always, oh, we think yeah. of a bodega as, as a cellar where people make things. But yeah, what, no. what is the meaning in New York City? They could make they could make things in there. I mean, and and and, and sometimes they do. But like um, a bodega is like your local like colmado. It's like your local your little local corner store where you can get everything from like a sandwich. You know, at any time of the night they open. You know, they got crazy hours where they're open and accessible at all times of the day and night. Um, is that Dominican, purely Dominican what, areas or any Latin you know, areas? Um, I mean, like, you know, Latin, uh, Dominican, Puerto Rican, like, um, it's, it's all around those neighborhoods, whether, you, whether you're in Harlem or the Bronx or Brooklyn. Um, yeah, but, but pretty much, 
you know, any neighborhood prior to gentrification is going to have like, you know, a solid, like a solid bodega, you know, that pretty much holds the neighborhood down with all the necessary things that they, you know, to, to keep the everyday uh, kind of like, you know, going, you know. Necessities you, of life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, you, you, you buy candles there, you could buy your 40s there, you could buy your juice, you could buy your, 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 your you know, your your Pedialyte, your, your Pampers, whatever you need. <laughs> okay. Get a sandwich. Okay. Um, now, but this particular track of what I'm singing about in that song, Nick, is because back in the day, Uptown, I used to go to this club on 145th Street. We used to rock up to this one particular bodega that would have rum from the Dominican Republic that didn't have distribution in New York, right? But you could go there and the deli, the, del, the guy at the deli counter in the bodega you you know if you knew what to ask for and and it was kind of like a little bit like you know secret society type thing going on over here where you ask for something specific boom he knows what you're asking for you lay your money down online the butcher would take out a little bottle of this rum from the Dominican Republic wrap it up in 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 the in the in the hero paper and pass it to you so you would be able to buy this rum on the down low back in the day <laughs> okay. now it's got distribution and everything but basically what i'm singing about is like you know they've ruined it's, it it's the weekend and i'm uptown <laughs> and i want to rock out and have a party man okay you know? <laughs> okay so let's listen to uh to Badiga blues by hey. the original harlem slim right on Buns. Down there near the bottom was a little bottle of rum. I gotta have it. Well, the weekend's just begun. Sure, the weekend just begun. Well, I swear that I go crazy if I don't get a drink of rum. Step up to the boy they get old. <laughs> I said, me pana, I'm flat broke. But I need a little bottle, man. He said, what is this, a joke? I, had, I, I asked him how much it is, man. He said, at a four and eight. Hmm. I said, man, that thing is crazy right there. But a bottle would be great. Get a drink of rum. What's a man to do? What's a man to do? I go check up on my lady and ask her for some dough. She says, You know, I love it, Tito. But damn, man, you flat, bro. <laughs> I told her about that action. That whole 
boy was putting down. Hit Bobby Chulo off with a Jackson, and I took a one train back uptown. I gotta have it. Well, the weekend's just begun. Sure enough, weekend just come around now. I don't get a drink of rum. Now then, now then. Got all by city college, huh? Rocked up to the bodega. I said, loco, give me mine. <laughs> he said, grab that joint right there. I said, good looks, hey, your mouth. And the bodegero said, peace. Friday night in Sugar Hill, y'all. Hey, yo, you know where I'm gonna be. I gotta have it. Sure enough. Well, the weekend's just begun. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. Man, I swear that I go crazy if I don't get a drink from What's the word? Come on, everybody, what's the word? Now, what's the price? All the music we're playing tonight, I, I love. And actually, on, on the third time of listening, I'm loving it more and more and more. But I, I have a question for you that's more technical. Um, on Bodega Blues, who was playing the harmonica on that track? Because that... that was a, a new side of you I haven't heard. Was that you playing or was that a, a colleague? I have the blessing of being, uh, of, of, of having some like, you know, strong friendships with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with folks that play the blues here in New York. And, uh, and, and one of my homeboys that I, I pulled up for that, for that session was, uh, was Brian from Daddy Long Legs. And he came in and he blew harp on that song in a very traditional way. Uh, he killed it, man. He really killed it. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. And it, now, Daddy Longlegs is is that a band? Is that a blues yeah, band? Yeah, Daddy Longlegs, uh, you know, blues band out, out of Brooklyn, New York. Um, you know, uh, and 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 they just they've been hitting the road real hard, and I know they've been hitting the road hard out in Europe and whatnot uh, before this whole uh, stay in place thing happened with the pandemic. But um, uh, Daddy Longlegs on Yep Rock, yeah, they got a okay. And I, I hope record. our listeners are going to look look them up. I'm sure there's some stuff online that they can listen to or most see. Most definitely, most definitely. Okay. Cats is a killer, killer. Now, killer now what what's interesting about that number about Bodega Blues is here we are, uh, almost 60 years after the Rolling Stones, actually 55 years after the Rolling Stones first went to New York, and of course they've been listening to uh, Lead Belly and Howling Wolf and BB uh, King and so forth. And they came back and sort of created this hybrid style music. They were not the first, let's be clear, because there was a band featuring a guy called Alexis Corner and there was another guy called John Mayle and the Blues Breakers. They were British guys. That's Um, right. But they were very influenced by those people and they brought in the harmonica and so forth. Mm -hmm. And there's all these different interpretations. Were were any of those bands, all be them British, of course, but were any of them influential on, on your on your style or your music over the years? Nah, Nick, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm very well aware of all those bands and that movement. And 
and, and you know, in, in all honesty, that was probably my segue into the blues. I mean, like, you know, to listen to Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones is a lot more accessible than it is to find like, you know, an old Sonny Boy Williamson record or a Muddy Waters record. But like my segue into the blues was peeling back the onion and finding the root. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, our inspiration and to be honest with you, in that room when that track happened, it wasn't it wasn't something that we had planned on. I was like, you know what? Um, let's let's do this one. You know, our inspiration is very similar to what they were inspired by, and I think it's a spirit that does not die. It's a spirit that exists aside from all of us and is greater than all of us. It's it's the same the same the same thing that made you know made them you know, do those songs that they did, you know, and go up and take the pilgrimage to Chicago and record that record when they recorded that record and do all those, you know, all those takes on all those blues songs that they were listening to and that they loved. That's the same spirit that moved, you know, me and Brian from Daddy Long Legs in the studio that afternoon, that evening, you know. Yeah. Um, only difference is that we was rocking a little bit of Henny at the time, you know, and I'm not sure what they was drinking in, in, <laughs> back in the Rolling yeah. Stones. Days, I, I don't know but. what they were on. There's probably a number of things, but there yeah. you are. That's pure speculation, pure speculation. Yeah. But, but uh, it's the same spirit, man, and, I, and that's the beauty of the music, Nick, is that, you know what, like, if you're able to tap into the main line, oof, like, I mean, can't, you, you know, you, you can't dampen that. It's a very pure thing. The last track we're going to play, I don't want to, I, it's a shame to give it away, but it's called Truth Be Told. That's right. And it, it's a folk number, really. Have I got that right? It seemed to me to be almost in a sort of a mixture of a little bit of country, a little bit of mountain music, and a little bit of folk music. <laughs> That's funny, man. I mean, like, I guess it's hard to categorize all that stuff, but, but just spot on with a lot of the references in terms of, like, musically and whatnot. I mean, I wrote the tune... It's it's a gospel tune. Um, I'll play it, you know, and I play it in a in a in a very traditional sense, um, and and I think I think it's totally on point to call it folk, uh, whether you call it blues or gospel music. Um, I think it it hits all the marks uh, with regards to that because you know I, I I am a student of the tradition and and I um I, I don't take it for granted that these things were done for many years by masters uh, for, for a very long time, way before I even showed up. Um, I don't take that for granted and I try and pay homage to that. It's a tune that I wrote. Um, I reference the Bible a lot in that tune, passageways and sort of lessons that I think that we're able to uh, relate to uh, in a modern time, in a modern tongue, you know? I'm not hitting you with a lot of these and those and thous. Um, I'm trying to speak to the common man in a very understandable way. Make it count, Slim. Truth be told, we could plot and bend their bows. Till I sing in times of trouble, if they victory with my Lord. Battle rages on, breaking hearts and homes in two. One or 
to just love your neighbors as much as you love your neighbor too. Brother Tito Dallaire, who we've been speaking to this evening. That's from his forthcoming album, It's a Beautiful Thing. You'll find all the details with this podcast. Hopefully there will be a link that will take you through so you can listen to the whole album. 
And that's where we're going to wrap it up. It was wonderful speaking to Tito and knowing more about what made him the stylish man he is, the talented musician he is. Tito, we hope to see you soon. And to all you listeners out there, please keep an eye on www.mensfile.com for more news on Tito and a lot of other amazing stylists that make our world so much more interesting. You can also sign up and subscribe to the newsletter, which comes out once a month so you won't be inundated with spam in your email. Okay, thank you and good night. Mm -hmm.